welcome to How to Deal When the Shit Gets Real podcast. I'm Rietta. And I'm Connie. And today we are here with Marjorie Onos. So Marjorie, tell us, how do you deal when shit gets real? Or just a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'll just start with a little bit about myself. So uh, my name is Marjorie, and I'm a psychologist. And, um, you know, when the shit gets real, things like... um, spinal cord injury happens when you are raising a 16 months old on your own. The interesting part is that when I became a mom with a physical disability after my accident, I was, um, you know, a psychologist working with parents with intellectual disabilities and advocating for their rights. And I had been doing that for the past 15 years. So it was sort of like, um, some familiarity uh, there when it happened that yeah. um, obviously I didn't want to necessarily, but that I got. So would intellectual disabilities be classified as like autism? Is that an example? I just want to understand exactly what you do. It's not autism. Uh, it would be like someone who has like learning skills deficits in some way. So someone who will require maybe support because math skill is not that great or they can't count, you know, or budget their money. It might be somebody who's a bit more naive in terms of, you know, social uh, interactions. So they could be taken care, uh, like advantage of. And basically it's, it's someone that take longer maybe to, to learn certain things as well. So it could be like, you know, an array of different things, but autism is another thing. Okay. Gotcha. So how did you end up getting into psychology and into the adults with this learning disability? Cause it's a very specific, it's not something you hear about every day. <laughs> no. Um, well, psychology. So there's two answers to this. Psychology was easy in terms of my decision. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I figured that all my interests led me to something about human interaction. So I thought, oh, cool, I'll do a bachelor in psychology. That way I have three more years to decide what I want to do when I grow up. And then that led me to a career as a psychologist, because after three years, I liked it so much. I started my master's, went straight into my my PhD, and that was it. In between all of this, so as I was doing my bachelor's in psychology, I took a summer job working with a young girl who had an intellectual disability. And my job basically was to shadow her. So to to be with her in camp so that she could be included in all the activities, but still have additional support if she needed. And someone said to me, oh, you should meet her mom. Maybe you could understand a little bit better the context. And um, so I went to meet her mom and her mom had an intellectual disabilities as well. It was just, to me, that was like uh, an aha moment because when I met Julie, that's how I, I call her, it's not her real name. When I met Julie, she was so inspiring to me because this was a woman who really wanted the best for her children. She had two kids and I could see her, you know, like sort of hustling and trying to get everything ready for the next day for camp. And making sure that, you know, there was some nutritious food in the lunch boxes and that there was like an extra sweater if she needed. And I figured this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, because really, I'm, I would be 
basically working with children, but also with adults and with, you know, someone with an intellectual disabilities, but also with sort of potentially, you know, a support network around that person. And I felt that fascinating. And so I started working in that field on that, that I did my PhD and also my clinical practice. I worked in a health um, and social services network. I was sort of like the lead in terms of working with moms and, and parents with intellectual disability. That's an amazing cause. I mean, that's got to be very rewarding work. Yeah, it's very difficult work and very rewarding at the same time. Certainly with, with all the clients that I had, you know, what I love the most is that they're straight shooters. I mean, if you said something that bugged them, they'll tell you if, you know, they don't like you, they'll tell you, like you, they will tell you that as well. I, I always like that part of like, there's no bullshit. We're yeah. here and, you know. And most else. other work. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. some bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, everybody could learn from them to just be straight shooters. Yeah. So do you not do this anymore? What are you doing currently? Well, I'm still doing some research in the field. I'm not mm -hmm. um, currently working because my accident even though it happened almost 10 years ago, it's sort of like the first few years I was focused on anything that was physical rehab. I then sort of started working again. But you have to imagine that I'm a single parent and not mm -hmm. just a single parent, but a solo parent, meaning that there's no other parent. I did, I had my child on my own via insemination and sperm donor. So I'm the only parent I parenting a toddler, as I was returning to full-time to work, as I was sort of trying to make sense of a spinal cord injury. And so all of this, I basically had to, I guess, deny some of the feelings that I was having or some of the struggles. I was in my head, it was sort of like, oh, I'll do it like before, you know, and before I used to do everything all the time. So I figured that I could do everything all the time despite the, the spinal cord injury. And I would say about five years after into that, while all this sort of emotion came back and like a tsunami, it really like sort of swept me away and um, I had to stop working. So um, I'm on the men's now, but it took a long time. And it took a long time because to me, like the person I was meant to be was becoming different to, to the person that I was becoming. And that was very, very hard to get my head around it. And I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And I felt like I was a terrible mom because there was a lot of things that I couldn't do with Tama because I didn't have the energy. And when I was at work, I felt guilty all the time because I didn't feel like I, I was able to keep up. So I would bring back work home and I would like hope that Tama would go to bed like very early so that I could go back and continue work and I basically exhausted myself um, yeah, and burnt out and that Sounds led to like depression. it. Yeah, it was uh, pretty yeah. bad. So talk to us about your accident. What happened? It's, uh, it was January 5th, 2012. So we're, you know, about six months short of, um, actually less than six months now. Oh, of my crazy. Year anniversary. Sorry. Yeah. Time passes. <laughs> yeah, time. Like I'm just thinking, amazing. wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, here in my house, we're all like, going nuts at the fact that it's going to be 10 years in a few months, because although some of the years were like very slow passing, 10 years passed fast. 
So it's mm -hmm. kind of like a, a really fun uh, or interesting fact. So it was January 5th and we had spent one week with all my siblings and my nieces and nephews and my parents at their cottage, whole week of like celebration, you know, after New Year's. And I was going back to work. So from up north to Montreal, it's about like um, 90 minute drive. And I was leaving Tama with my parents at the cottage because I was coming back over the weekend. So I was driving back and my car hit black ice. It hit black ice on a road that's a country road, which meant that cars went both ways. It was just really wrong timing, perfect or perfect timing or wrong timing. There was a truck going the other way. And so we were both going like about 90 kilometers an hour. It was going pretty fast. And as soon as I hit black ice, I knew, I actually, I knew I was going to die. Wow. Really, I faced death. Like it was, it was clear to me I was dying. And so it's interesting because again, sort of that concept of time, I could tell you exactly what happened in my head and it would last like easy 25 minutes. In a nutshell, it's basically, you know, I thought of like, oh, it's today is a good day to die. I had so much fun. And then I went to, oh shit, no, I can't die because I'm a solo parent to a 16 months old. And that would mean he becomes an orphan and I don't want him to be an orphan. I didn't have him. I ended by saying his name and sort of asking that I live. I um, woke up approximately 20 minutes. So I do not have any memories of the impact or actually like seconds before the impact. So, you know, as soon as I said Thomas's name, I mean, my car was swinging. Apart from that, I like I blanked out. And when I woke up in the car, I couldn't feel... Well, I could feel my legs. They were, I like to describe them like big marshmallows, lots of pins and needles uh, going through. And so I was like, okay, so something happened to my legs. That's fine. And then I was sort of like doing a mental diagnosis of like what was happening and where I was at. And I knew I was in a snowbank. I couldn't see very well. I couldn't hear very much either. And then I realized that I couldn't move, feel, or my, my arms and that freaked me out again. And I said, like, I, I need to have my, my arms back. You know, I can't do yeah. anything for the legs, but I need to have my arms back because if I have my arms back, I can sort of hold my son and I can hug him and being, you know, a solo parent, I sort of need, you know, it's one thing to do it on my own. It's one thing to do it paraplegic, but to do it like quadriplegic, I felt like, you know, God needed to give me a break. <laughs> and um yeah I got lucky he gave me a break so he gave me back my arms on hindsight I often say when I tell this story I should have asked for more because really like <laughs> he gave me exactly my arms and that's it so next time you know I know to be more specific and I hope there's <laughs> no next time but if yeah. there was you know be specific yeah so what was your recovery like yeah the recovery oh my god that was a long process so the first period was the first month and that was in the hospital. There was about 10 days in the ICU where at the beginning I was intubated. And then, I mean, I had tubes everywhere to a point that I had said to my mom, like, don't bring my son, you know, in the hospital is going to scare him. Mm -hmm. um, but I was, I mean, the only thing I did every time I was awake was cry. And so my nurse said to my mom, for her to be able to get back up, you need to bring her son she needs to be reminded of why she lived and so that's what my mom did 
that created big crisis because Thomas really reacted. But that's when my mom said, I'm going to bring him every single day until he remembers that you are his mom. And that's what my dad and, and her did for, for all the days that I had at the hospital and after in rehab. So I was about one month in the hospital. In the hospital, basically, there was nothing. They were just taking care of my medical needs. There wasn't much physiotherapy there. And then I was sent to, to rehab. And rehab was about five months there where I, I slept and lived there. In rehab, what was great was all the physio that I did. I was like so pumped. That was like the one hour in my day where I was like, yes, you know, I have control over my life and I have control over what happens in that next hour. And that gave me like a really big boost of power to power through each day. Apart from physio, there was occupational therapist. So basically that's relearning how to, you know, eat or cook dinner or clean or make your bed or get dressed you know, get in the shower. I mean, pretty much everything. I had to learn everything from scratch because spinal cord injury is not just not walking. A spinal cord injury, especially in my case, when it's like complete, it means that I can't feel or move anything. Anything under my armpits, I can't move, including all groups of muscles. So for example, my abs, I can't contract them which means that if I'm sitting in a chair and I'm just sitting, that's fine. But if I were to like go and pick up something, I need to hold myself with the other arm or else I'm going to fall because I don't have any abs. So forget the six pack. I'll never have that again. It's just not, um, you know, something that will happen. And so that causes all kinds of different other sort of illnesses and, and uh, things that so what do you mean by complete? Was it, was it in your neck and it was like a complete severment? Is that what you mean? No, it's actually the way that they give criteria to a spinal cord injury. Asia, Asia A or B or C or D. Don't ask me for the B, C, D, what they mean, but I know A, which is mine. And that means that I'm, I do not have any feeling or motor function below my injury. In my case, I got injured both in my neck around C3 and also in my back. The, the back at T2, T4, which is really like just under the armpits, that one is the one that didn't sever, you know, the, the spinal cord, but bruised it. And when you bruise the spinal cord, it, it slowly sort of kills the, the spine. And so in my case, even though it wasn't severed per se, it basically, I lost every function below my injury in the back. The thing in my neck, what happened is that when I was in the car, probably my neck went sideways, touched the spine, but didn't, it wasn't enough to do sort of like um, permanent damage. But in the operation, because I had, um, you know, 10 hours after the car accident, I was in the um, operating room and they consolidate both my neck from C3 to C five and my back from t2 to t4 so i got screws yeah so you're still in a wheelchair you can still not feel from your armpits down correct yeah that's what asia a complete means actually that nothing uh, sensory nothing motor below my injury so how did you handle motherhood while you recovered 
that required a lot of teamwork and a lot of teamwork with, oh, I um, bet. with my mom and dad. So I, I got lucky that I have the parents that I have and that I have parents who were retired and that I had par- parents who like wanted to do this and help me because they basically moved in my house, which again, that was like pretty amazing. And their thinking behind that was Tama is going through something that big in terms of adaptation. We're not going to on top of that sort of put him somewhere else. So they moved in that way. He still had his room. He still had his routine. The good thing is that they knew a bit his routine and I was able to talk. So I was able to also tell them when they asked uh, questions for the first six months, basically there were the one raising Tama and Every time after nap time, they would bring him and I would spend some time with him. After that, well, I came home into a home that wasn't adapted, that had three floors. Oh, no. Yes. And adapting a house takes a long time because it has to go through the insurance scheme. And that's a little slow and you need permissions and so forth. And so rapidly we had to fight and I kept saying, like, I, I had a friend who's a, a great litigation lawyer. So I told her, like, make them go faster. And the fastest that we could get, you know, the insurance to pay up and to get everything sort of organized, it, it was 18 months. And so for 18 months, we lived in my house where I slept either in the living room area or the dining room area and all piled up. I mean... It was chaos everywhere because I didn't have room to put my clothes. We didn't know, like my parents were also here because, I mean, the bedrooms were upstairs. So obviously if Tama woke up during the night, they needed to pick him up and then they would bring him downstairs and then I would do sort of the comforting and then they would bring him back. And so, yeah, it was really chaotic. And on top of that, I mean, not only did we have like a toddler who was going through a very chaotic time because three adults were in there. Um, the house was just a big mess, but he was also a toddler. So, you know, like a two-year-old, I mean, they're testing limits. They're saying no, uh, they're running away. And so it was very hard for me in a wheelchair trying to adjust to my body that didn't respond to my command in a way where, you know, no, like, how do I do if I need to run after him? You need a fast um, wheelchair. <laughs> you need a fast wheelchair, exactly. Uh, which I didn't have, unfortunately, because, you know, it was propelled by my two arms who were like still bruised. And it was just like, yeah, it was just, um, there was a lot of little things and those little things kept adding up. And I think that that's what happened like five years after when I say that I got hit by the tsunami of emotion is that I... I didn't take the time at that moment to grieve all those little things that I thought I was going to be able to do on my own, um, you know, with him. So like you said, it's hard enough having a toddler, let alone trying to adjust something that just happened to you. I mean, I have a son. I can't imagine trying to do what you were doing. So I I guess it almost kind of makes sense why that tsunami hit you later because you never got to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it, uh, yeah. And, you know, like at that time, just like I was saying is that it was solution finding mode all the time. And so I think I didn't have the time. It was sort of like, you know, you need to, to get on with it. And 
find solutions and raise your kid and fight the insurance. And I think probably also I was on adrenaline or something that was keeping me going because I was sort of in that Just, fight mode all the time yeah, to try to get definitely. my rights, um, you know. All I have to say is though, I, I feel like it's really awesome because I don't know the American insurance system, but I do know that like, I'm pretty sure they don't cover like home renovations if you have then gone and had like a disability. And my brother who, I don't know if our listeners know, but he's had a spinal cord injury and they've got their house assessed and it's just not possible. So my brother, when he gets home from rehab has to go into a completely new environment that he's never, to me, I was like, that's kind of almost as traumatic Mm -hmm. as the injury. Cause now you have to go to a whole new environment and not learn, but okay, I guess this is my new house now. I guess everything has to change. That's right. Those are the little losses. My house couldn't be adapted either. Oh, really? Yeah. Which meant that I needed to find a new house. And originally the insurance had said buy a condo because condos are easier, you know, to adjust or to adapt. And I was like, no. no, I bought a house yeah. with a yard for my kid. You, you can't sort of take the house on top of everything else. I've lost so much. And it's actually my mom who found a duplex. So a duplex is sort of like a house. And then you have the apartment above just on the same street as mine, one quarter uh, away. And, oh, here uh, you go. Yes. And so my parents and I bought this place. We sold my house. We got the new place adapted the main floor and the basement are adapted because those are mine. And the reason why we did it this way, and seriously, like we had to make the decision. The house went on sale at 7 a.m. By 5 p.m., we had bought it. Yeah. Um, because it was sort of like it's in the same neighborhood, it has a similar yard, the same, uh, you know, similar school system, access to transport and to, you know, grocery yeah. stores and so forth. And on top of that, the added bonus was that knowing that I still had to raise a toddler in that house, we were like, it would be probably safer to have my parents close by so that if something yeah. happened, I could ask uh, for help. Yeah, yeah for absolutely. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't understand why it has to make this so hard for people. Like mm-hmm. you didn't choose to end up the way you ended up. Like it shouldn't be hard for you to be able to live a normal life. I so agree with you. It was like really like difficult. Yeah. Which brings to an, on me to another question is where you live in Canada. Is that like pretty handicap accessible? So like if you want to go out somewhere, is it easy? Do they make life difficult? So in Canada, we have, you know, like in the US, you have Christopher Reeve, who became like a strong advocate. Oh, yes. Um, in Canada, we have one Rick Hansen. Not a similar life story, but who also sort of became paraplegic. He was a Paralympian and he has a foundation like the Chris, Christopher Reeves has uh, his. So he lives in Vancouver. So Vancouver is actually, or British Columbia, the province where he lives, is actually a pretty good province in terms of accessibility. But Montreal, not so much. So everywhere I go, I never know if it's going to be accessible or not, or to what extent and sometimes because the the law sort of says that it needs to be accessible that everything every public 
building needs to be accessible. So they're all saying, yes, we are. And then you show up and then something doesn't work. So I know I I give, you know, Canada, we have a lot of snow. Oh yeah. The winter time. Mm -hmm. And so in parking lots of arenas after a snowfall, they store the snow on the two handicapped parking spots. Of course. Oh goodness. You know, so it's sort of like, come on. Like there's two, there's two spots, really two spots. And it's exactly where they put the snow. I don't know. Sometimes we laugh with my mom because we're like, oh, they think you're resilience and solution focused. So of course, (laughs) today. so we make fun because we don't want to cry all the time. Well, yeah. Yeah. I bet. So you wrote a book. So tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah. So it's in the process. Uh, it's in the editing process, actually. So for that's amazing. Year, yes. For the 10 year, it will come out. So Ooh, that I love is going to be my celebration. Yes. A book launch. Yeah. So the book is really about a little bit about my life, who I was before, of course, the incident or the accident that happened that led me uh, becoming a mom with a spinal cord injury. And then the rest of it is really about sort of the lessons learned. So it's really reflecting back over the last 10 years and trying to focus on the positive and what did I learn so that, you know, I could share that to other moms and parents or people who are going through a spinal cord injury and just don't know. I'll have to buy that for my brother. Yeah. Well, I could send you one for sure. It sounds amazing. What, what's the title? Well, the title we haven't, you know, it's not solidified yet. Um, Okay. That's all right. I get it. Sometimes the title comes to you at the very last moment. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. But it has something in there. Lessons learned. I like that though. I feel like there should be more books like that out there in general. I mean, I feel like that's also what our podcast is about as well, because we always ask our listeners, what did you learn? What did, what's your takeaway? You know, that type of deal. How did you, uh, what's your advice? Yeah. So with that being said, what is your advice to our yeah. listeners? <laughs> yeah. So, you know what, I think the first advice and that's for, for anyone, you should really tick all the right boxes on your insurance paperwork. <laughs> and I say yes. that- because the only box that I hadn't ticked was if I became permanently injured. So there oh, was no. Yes. So if I had died, you know, we would have been covered. Long-term disability was not covered. Because hey, my I brother had... did the same thing. He yeah. Well, you don't think back. about that. The reality is mm-hmm. that, you know, I think we've been drilled in the last, I don't know, 20 years that yes, you can die. So don't forget to write a will and make sure you have your papers in order. But we don't talk enough about the fact that sometimes we actually do not die, but we sustain lifelong injury. And that changes the world. And so, I mean, that's the first advice that I sort of say, but that's good you know, advice because you never know what's going to happen. Nobody is a fortune teller. And if they are, please tell me where my fortune is. Well, I certainly wasn't a fortune teller and psychologists, they don't, uh, they don't forecast anything. I got stuck with that. But really, if I were to say, in terms of like dealing with my injury, I would want to say that you're stronger than you think would be sort of one of my takeaways. 
even though at the beginning I hated people sort of said, Oh, you'll make it. You're so strong. I hated that. I couldn't stand it because I was sort of like in the middle of like paddling, you know, and trying to sort of stay afloat. And that was a bit, um, I felt sometimes like disrespectful or, or validating the experience that I had, but certainly I would say you're stronger than you think. And that makes me think that after I got diagnosed with depression, I learned about positive psychology and it took me a couple of years. And as I was learning about positive psychology, I learned about the character strength uh, science, which basically says that in every human being, we all have sort of six virtues and 24 character strength. And those are our strength that we can tap into when we need uh, either to be happier, so to flourish or to deal with adversity. And I'll give you examples of like some character strength. So you were commenting about my wall and my wall of inspiration that's behind me. In the middle, it says love. Love is a character strength. And in my case, it's the strength that I use the most often. When I was in in the car and I thought I was going to die, it's actually love that sort of got me to just pull out all the energy that I could to try to survive. So that's one. Then in the car, if we continue, you know, with the story that I told earlier, when I sort of asked for my arms to be back and that I was praying to God, well, that's spirituality, which ironically for me is my, the one I use the less, it's like number 24 out of like the 24 character strength that we can have. But in the same time, when I was in a situation that required sort of to pull in larger perspective, larger sort of force, I was able to do that to be able to sort of help me out at the, in the moment. And then you have an array of different ones. And some are like self-regulation, for example, which is a bit sort of like discipline. You know, if you want to go to the gym on a regular basis to, to lose weight or get healthy, you want self-regulation, right? You want perseverance. That's another one. I wanted in the car, I use prudence. So prudence is also a strength. And in my case, when my arms came back, I sort of said to myself, stop moving, let sort of the first responders sort of take care of you. And so that's another way um, we could tap into our strength. And so there's like 24 like those. And it really empowered me because I felt like it's not hopeless. Anything that happens, it's not hopeless. You could use creativity, for example, you know, to get out of things or to think of new solutions. You could use a different perspective for that same reason. And so it was very empowering for me to know that I had all these strengths in me and that I could, you know, make my life better basically and make my son's life better. I'm going to ask the question that Connie knows that I'm going to ask. Was there a book that you read that taught you all of this or were you going through therapy yourself and they were walking you through the steps? At first I was like, what? And then I was like, oh yeah, no, that's definitely a question she would ask. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what? Yeah. I wish somebody in um, psychotherapy would have led me there, but they didn't. I had to figure it out all on my own. Thank God I'm a psychologist because I I get sort of news about upcoming conferences and different things, you know, because I'm a psychologist. And so it just went by in one of the advertisements. And um, I was like, oh, positive psychology? What's that? So I checked it out for myself. And then, and then because my second uh, highest, most often used 
character strength is love of learning. I basically read everything Everything. (laughs) that exists on that. And so if you were to ask me, is there a book? Well, there's about seriously just around me on my desk, the part that you don't see about 20. And then there's more. And then you go like conferences and you go like, you know, listen to workshops and webinars. And I would say that COVID also sort of dispatched a whole bunch of different webinars on the topic around uh, positive psychology. And if you think that your listeners would be interested, I could, you know, send you a list of the key ones or the most important ones. Yeah, really changed my life. Yeah, we'd love that because we could put them in the at least in the show notes, along with all the stuff about you and and your website and everything. We could put your recommendations in the show notes because I will certainly at the very least I will read them. (laughs) (laughs) If minimum at minimum, she will read everything, everything and anything. Excellent. You're like me. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I am. I'm very much, I'm very much my father's daughter. He, I don't think I ever see him without a book. So. Yeah. Okay. Rietta, do you have any more questions before I use my one last fun question? No, go, go ahead. Okay. If you could have a magic power, what yes. would it be? You know what? I did see that, that question in sort of like <laughs> your email. Uh-huh. And, um, and then I went, oh, and now I, you know, I forgot because <laughs> Some people ask me that. Yeah, it's an interesting one because a lot of people think that it would be probably, you know, to be able to walk again. Um, but that's not a magic power. No. Well, In my you know opinion. What? All right. When, when you're like not walking, it walking is. becomes a superpower. Okay. It's like okay. using your arms becomes a superpower. Yeah, I don't know. I think my superpower actually is sort of knowing that I have 24 character strength. I'm going to be like, just... it sounds like a video game. So like, I'm going to go with that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, your, your character has 24 power strength. See, yeah. you know, it sounds like at least it sounds like a video game, like superhero. Yes. Right. Well, we're big fans here of um, the Avengers in my house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See to a point that my son baptized me wonder wheel woman. <laughs> I love oh, it. Oh, it's so that. cute. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my Instagram account says Wonder Wheel Woman. I, I love it. Yes. And the fact that it came from your son is even better. Even better. Even better. You guys so say then, I love you, you dra- 3000? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gotta say I love Aww. you 3000 if you're Marvel fans. <laughs> yes. That's so cute. Do you dress up on Halloween as Wonder Wheel Woman? Or is that just every day? You're like, that's me. Uh, yeah, that's me every day. But my mom did make me like a COVID mask, you know, with the wonder. Um, Woman's sign. I love it. Yeah. You're going to have to make your own logo soon. Because oh, you're different. Yeah. You're better. That's right. Well, you know what? If you go on my Instagram, there's a different logo for that. Oh, snap. Yeah, so, we'll have to go on, on your Instagram. That's right. And yes. so will our listeners. Thank you for being on our show. And uh, this is how to deal when shit gets real. Don't forget to listen every Friday, rate, review, and subscribe and listen episodes every Friday. And uh, we'll see y'all next episode.